Welcome to the Books and Travel podcast. I'm Jo Francis-Penn, thriller and dark fantasy author, bringing you escape and inspiration about unusual and fascinating places, as well as the deeper side of books and travel. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my ebooks for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Hello, travellers. I'm Jo Francis Penn, and in today's interview, I'm talking to Jay Thorne about train travel in the USA, which is quite a different experience to the UK or Europe, which is where most of my own experience has been. But I actually joined Jay on the Amtrak from Chicago to New Orleans, and we talk about this in the interview. Now, travelling by train is fantastic because you can watch the world go by from your carriage, sometimes for days on end on some of these longer journeys, and you have somewhere to sleep and wash and eat while you travel. So it's very relaxing, far more relaxing than driving. And in fact, I well, I don't have a car <laughs> anymore. Uh, so I travel by train a lot. And I mean, I can drive, I can hire a car, but I much prefer to travel by train. You can catch glimpses of places you might never visit. So when I was on that Amtrak uh, journey, I had jet lag. I'd just flown into Chicago from the UK. So I woke up incredibly early. And in fact, the, the we talk about on the show, the night was, it was not a good night's sleep because they blow the horn all the time. Well, anyway, I got up and I was sitting in the dining car and I watched the sunrise over Tennessee and What's so fascinating about America to me is there are, I mean, it's it's one of the most technologically advanced countries in the world. And you can go to some places and you feel like you are in a completely forward thinking place. And then going past some places in Tennessee, uh, in the the south there, there were some desperately poor places that I saw from the tracks. Um, Something from a different country, it felt like I'd been to San Francisco reasonably uh, soon before that, and it just felt like another country. It really did. And then, of course, you leave Chicago, which is this huge city with big, shiny skyscrapers, and you arrive in New Orleans, which is, you know, big city, multicultural, lots of buildings. And so it, by traveling by train across America like that, you, you get a sense of how diverse the population is. So uh, we talk about that um in the show today. I mean, I must say that to me, being traveling by train is less romantic than it is for Jay, uh, who talks about using his train travel to think and write and see more of his country. Um, but for me, I guess I get the train so often it becomes the the best way, I think, to, to travel. Uh, but Jay gives some tips on the best routes to travel with Amtrak and what you can expect, as well as thoughts on why train travel is so romantic and gives some book recommendations. So I hope you enjoy the interview. Jay Thorne is a dark fantasy, post-apocalyptic thriller and horror writer, as well as a musician, podcaster, editor and coach at theauthorlife.com. So we co-wrote American Demon Hunter's Sacrifice with two (laughs) other authors based on our journey by train from Chicago to New Orleans. And today we're talking about aspects of travelling by train in the USA. So welcome, Jay. 
Oh, thanks, Joanna. It's so great to be on the podcast. Oh, no, it's really good to have you on the show. So first up, tell us a bit more about your geographic history. So where are you right now in the world and where do you call home? Yes, currently I reside in Cleveland, Ohio, which is technically the Midwest of the United States. Uh, but I, I'm not from here. I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I left there at age 23 and, and haven't lived there since. Um, and since that time, I've lived in five different states, uh, maybe uh, I'm guessing 14 or 15 different uh, addresses. And that included uh, New Jersey, the New York area, Tennessee, and, and now Ohio. Um, and I've been here in Cleveland for the past 15 years because my wife and I uh, now have two teenage kids and we wanted to kind of stay put for a, a little while while they were going to school to give them some stability. Yeah, which, you know, so you've you've lived in all these different places in, in the US um, and you and I, we, you know, we knew each other before we got the train, but you do get the train a lot. So <laughs> what is it about train travel that you that you love? There's there's this very romantic sense of adventure. There's no question about it. Um, and I think it's the romantic notion we all have in our heads before we step on the train for the first time. But for me, it's been reinforced. And 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 just so there's some context here, I was <laughs> I was doing a little work in a spreadsheet, and I do this for fun. There's really no other point to it. But uh, the Earth's circumference is about twenty four thousand nine hundred one miles at the equator. And I've calculated since 2014, I've ridden about 31,946 miles on domestic rails uh, here in the U.S. So um, I, I'm, it's something I, I really love. Uh, I, I think what's, what makes it really exciting for me or more enjoyable is that the, it's the pace. It's a very low-stress environment. Um, it is uh, compared to, say, air travel, for example, there's not the same level of security. The security is more like stepping on a bus than it is a plane. And uh, and once you're on the train, there's not much else for you to do. So you, you don't have to worry about too much other than just occupying your own mind. And um, because of that, I really like to ride the train alone. And I know as a fellow introvert, um, you can probably identify with that. Uh, so I think that's what I like the most about the train is just it. it fe once you get on it, it feels very low stress. Yeah, it's interesting because the, I guess the stereotype of Americans is that everyone drives everywhere. And Europe to me is much more of a train culture, you know, and, and, <laughs> and a lot, a lot fewer people have, have cars, um, here in Europe as, as Americans. So do you, do you think that, um, that that's true? Or do you think that more people do get the train that, than imagine? Like, is it, is it a big thing? It's not a big thing. I, I think the stereotype is, is probably accurate. Uh, Americans uh, are, for better <laughs> lack of a better word, I think they're addicted to their cars. I mean, we see that in the way people here live, in the way new developments are built. I mean, I live in a neighborhood that was built in the early 1900s, and it has sidewalks because back then <laughs> people still walked to get places. Uh, newer developments, they don't even put sidewalks in. So uh, I think that's accurate. Um, it's not a judgment. I just think it's the it's it's also part of the nature of where we live, um, living in North America, uh, you know, from coast to coast, from east to west, and even, even from the borders north to south, from Canada to Mexico, is an enormous amount of square miles. And um, so it, it, I understand why people will get in the car and drive more so than uh, get on a train. 
Yeah, absolutely. So let's just talk about that. So the size. So probably everyone listening can at least picture the size of America in their head, like <laughs> a, a map of, of America. Uh, so tell us a bit about the train network. Uh, you know, wh- wh- what is it? I mean, I, I've been on the Amtrak. Is that the only one? And and where where does it go? Does it go everywhere? Yeah, definitely. I can. Um, I can. I have some personal experience here. Uh, Amtrak um, is run by the U.S. government, and it was uh, purchased from private enterprise. I think in the '70s, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. And so um, it's run like the like other social services here in the states, like the post office, which means, in all honesty, um, the trains are somewhat outdated. Uh, the service can be spotty. Um, you know, that's just, it just goes with the territory. It's, it's when it's not a private enterprise, there's, I think there's less of an incentive to make the experience as, as good as it can be. I'm not saying it's not good, but I, I think compared to Europe and I've never ridden the rails in Europe, but I think, uh, compared to Europe, it's, it's probably not as sophisticated in all aspects. Um, that being said, you can pretty much get from coast to coast, north to south, uh, I think Chicago is probably, if it's not the biggest hub for Amtrak, it's probably the most important one because uh, Chicago then has lines that go all the way to the West Coast, down to New Orleans, the one you were on, uh, out out to the east to New York City and up into the Northeast Corridor. So I think think Chicago is probably one of the most important train stations. And um, although they tend to make stops in smaller towns, usually the destinations are larger cities. Yeah, which is, uh, it's so interesting. You said it's owned by the government. That explains a lot. (laughs) Because in Europe, I I was pretty shocked by um, some of the waiting areas. So the the one in Chicago that we were at was, you know, amazing. Uh, But I also did Charleston to Savannah. And I remember getting to the Charleston station um, at sort of three in the morning or something. And it was, it was like a shack. And Charleston's quite a big city. I mean, but it was pretty much a shack (laughs) by a train track and there was no there wasn't even any water like a a machine (laughs) to get water and it was I found it pretty basic compared to to European trains so but there are different classes of travel aren't there so just explain that because we went on the the better class (laughs) yes Uh, so you can you can purchase a coach seat and a coach seat is exactly like what you would get on a plane or on a bus. Now, I will say that because the trains are older and because they're trains, the coach seats have uh, much more legroom than you would get on a plane or, or in a bus. So I'm six foot two and I can stretch my legs out completely in coach on, on a train. And that's, that's the least expensive. However, <laughs> uh, although the seats recline, they do not go vertical. And so for overnight trips, I think it's difficult uh, especially multiple overnight trips, it's difficult to do that in coach just because you can't lay flat. And there, for me, there's something psychological about sleeping flat as opposed to reclined. Uh, but we we purchased what's called a roomette and there are different classes of rooms. And uh, basically a roomette is a closet with two beds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's very small. One above um, each other, we should say, like, bunk. like bunks. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but, but they do, again, I'm six foot two and in a roomette, I can, I can stretch out completely. Uh, so you can lay on, and it's a mattress with a pillow uh, and uh, you can sleep in those. Uh, and then they go up from there. So you have their family rooms, their rooms with a private shower and bath. And, and that's all determined by price, of course. So you really do have a few options as far as your budget is concerned. 
Okay, just a couple of things there. So room et, is that like R-O-O-M-E-T-T-E, like a small room? I believe so. I think that's how it's spelled, yeah. Yeah. And then you also said a private bath. Now, in my head, a bath in in British speak is is an actual bath, like you lie down in some water. Ah, Did you use that? That's not what you meant on a train, right? (laughs) No, they they have a toilet, a shower stall, and a sink can all be part of a private room. A private room, yeah. (laughs) Because I was like, that's just how some, um, yeah, I was like, there's no way you're having a bath on that train. But also, um, so you said it was a mattress and a pillow. I think we also got bedding. Yes, yes. You know, blankets. Um, you have, And also in a roommate, you have access to a few other amenities that are included in your ticket. And that includes all of your meals that are served in the cafe car. Uh, so uh, you can uh, go to the cafe car and it's communal seating, but it's booths. So you can sit and have a, a proper meal, so to speak. Um, you also have, uh, that's for roommate, you also have access to a communal shower stall as a roommate. So you can take a shower on on the train if you want to freshen up. And then if even if you're in coach, you have access to other parts of the train. And I think this is where for long distance travel, it really is so much more enjoyable than being in a car because uh, the long distance trains have things like a cafe car where you can eat a meal um, or, or get snacks. They have a dining car where you, where you can eat a meal. They have an observation car where the windows kind of come up over the side and, and you can just look out and there's, there's sort of free seating there. So it gives you the ability to kind of get up and walk around um, that's not quite possible on a bus or in your car. Yeah, that observation deck, it, you, you sit looking out the side don't you? So you're kind yes. of sitting side on, uh, which is quite was quite weird at the beginning, but then uh, <laughs> it, is is great because you get to look out. So just define proper meal. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on what line you're on. So uh, I'm, as I'm as I'm sure happens in most government uh, agencies, cost cutting and budgets a major concern, and so they have started. Uh, um, you know, back in the day, they would cook on the train and, and uh, the California Zephyr, which is my favorite line, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, the California Zephyr has a kitchen on the train, so they cook the meals. Mm. But other trains like uh, the the one the, that we took to New Orleans, they basically it's sort of like fast food, uh, microwave prepared meals. Uh, so, you know, the quality is is what it is. Uh, and, and, and they removed kitchens on those lines just because of budgetary reasons. Yeah, and that's completely understandable. And I mean, even if it's 24 hours or whatever, I mean, you're not going to starve, but it's not like there's <laughs> amazing. It's not like the Orient Express. <laughs> it is not. It is not. But I, I will say on the California Zephyr, I've done that. I've done that line five, I think five times. And uh, the dinner on the Zephyr is like a crab cake or um, a steak. Oh. And they cook it on the, on the train and it's quite good. <laughs> Well, that brings us to, I guess, like, what are some of your best memories of traveling by train? Yeah, it's definitely the the long distance ones that cover, uh, that go east to west. And this, we're going to get into a little bit of uh, history here. I don't know how many people are familiar with Jared Diamond's uh, Guns, Germs and Steel. Oh, great theory. book. Yeah. Great book on a Pulitzer, right? And his basically his theory is that uh, the European continent developed differently than the Americas um, because of the east to west difference in geography versus north to south. And um, I think some of that comes into play when we talk about North America. When you go specifically from Chicago to Emeryville, which is right outside of Oakland, California, uh, that's the the California Zephyr. You cro- you cross the Mississippi River, you go across the Great Plains. 
You go through the uh, past the Great Salt Lake and the and the and the flats. You go through the Rocky Mountains along the Colorado River. You go through the Sierra Nevadas, and then you come in along the bay into the Oakland San Francisco area. So if you think about what's typically the postcard version of America, you you see all of that from the window, and mm. you see it from a place that you can't see from a plane and you can't see from the highway. So I think for me, the best memories of traveling by train, especially through the Rocky Mountains, is is sitting at the window and just staring. I and mean, you're going through just pristine areas, places, you know, where the tracks reach and nothing else does. And I think that that's my favorite element of train travel. Wow. I see. So I need to do that one because I <laughs> I didn't think I would ever get an Amtrak again. But um, I, I think that one sounds brilliant. Um, but are there any other ones where you've seen incredible things or you just think, yeah, this is a this is a good route? Yes, there are. There are three tra- three trains that travel from Chicago to the West Coast. The, the Zephyr goes roughly in the middle of the continent you have the Empire Builder, and that goes from Chicago to uh, Seattle or Portland, depending on your destination. And that one goes through like Glacier National Park, and it gets closer to the Canadian border. So you're going through the Badlands and the northern reaches of, of the United States. And then you have the Southwest Chief, and that goes from Chicago to Los Angeles. And that goes down through Texas and New Mexico and Arizona uh, so depending on which route you choose, all three of those are splendid. I, I think the California Zephyr is sort of widely recognized as the most scenic route in the United States. But uh, those other two, the Empire Builder and the Southwest Chief, I've done those both. And those are those are spectacular as well. Wow. And I guess in, in Europe, we have uh, what's known as interrailing, which is you buy a pass. So maybe you can buy a pass for three months and you can just travel on all the trains all over Europe. Um, and a lot of people will do that when they're you know doing a longer trip. So are there similar kind of passes so you can get on and off in different places and do it that way? Unfortunately not. And, and this is a, just another example of where I think the European system is much more mature and sophisticated. Uh, you, you just have to purchase a destination ticket. And um, unfortunately, uh, you know, th- there are probably 40 stops. I'm, I'm ballparking here, 40 stops between Chicago and Emeryville on the Zephyr. Now, you can get off on any one of those. Uh, but if you get off on one, then you have to book another ticket from that destination uh, you know, are from that stop to your destination. And the other thing, and this, this also relates to your uh, comment about Charleston, which I'm not surprised. Uh, the Zephyr uh, runs like once a day. And so you have multiple Zephyrs on the line at the same time. But a lot of these small cities, they have a train coming eastbound and westbound once a day. And so the, there's not a lot of facilities there. They're not restaurants in the depots unless you're in some, something like Chicago Union Station or Los Angeles Union Station. It's just because there's just not a lot of traffic coming through there on a regular basis. Yeah, I guess that that does make sense. <laughs> but <laughs> I, it, it's so it's just so sh- shocking to me in a way, because as you say, I mean, w- I think in the Europe, we travel so much by train that it seems weird to talk about it in a special way. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas what you're saying is it is unusual. And it seems like they're really missing a trick. Um, because this, th- these are some incredible journeys. Um, so I wonder, are there any um, like, tell us about some of uh, your books that you might have um, put train things in or any characters <laughs> you might have met who have appeared in your stories. 
Yeah, I think American Demon Hunter Sacrifice is probably the best example. That's the the title that we wrote in my American Demon Hunter series that is the story of of taking the train from Chicago to New Orleans. And I won't spoil the story any more than that. Uh, but that was uh, the four of us, just uh, uh, us and Lindsay Broker and Zach Bohan, and we we sort of mirrored our experience or we based the story on that in the time frame and, and the sequence of events that are happening. And, and that to me was really uh, so much fun because I had been, uh, I had taken that particular train a number of times already and, and had been sort of a, an, a veteran on the lines and to be able to write a fictional story that was based on that was just beyond fun for me. Yeah, absolutely. And we did meet a, a particular conductor who <laughs> we won't name him, but uh, we met him and he was just charming, lovely young guy. And uh, we ended up putting him in, in the book, um, which was fun. I believe you t- actually told him, right? I, I Yes. Uh, I, I think um, I told him we were writing the book and he gave me his, his cell number and at one point I said, I think I texted him and said, I'm sorry, Patrick, we just killed you. <laughs> and and he, I think he first wrote back and said, who is this? And then, and then once he realized who it was, he was just, uh, he was so ecstatic. And I think I ended up sending him a paperback copy. Yeah, oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> but we are, um, yeah, it, it is a, uh, let's say, a supernatural thriller uh, on the train. And it was really fun as someone who hadn't done that line before. In fact, I'd never, yeah, I'd never got an Amtrak. Like I'd got the train um, in other places. You know, New York doesn't really count, I don't think, because it's it's just busy and, right. you know, it's more common to, to get the train. But um, yeah, I found it a, an interesting experience. One of the things I would say, and why I said I would never do an overnight <laughs> again, although I might have to change my mind for the Zephyr, but was um, the horn going all <laughs> night. Like you, you thought, okay, shut up now. And then suddenly it would go again. So earplugs, I think, for the night horns would be my number one tip um have you got any other <laughs> other tips on how to survive uh the, the train journey or at least how to make it more more pleasant i guess yes i, I think there's a it, it really comes down to mindset i think uh i mean there are obviously things like earplugs that uh, you need because there are so many roads in the united states every time they come to a railroad crossing they have to blow the horn and so that's why it just goes constantly right so i think you do need to have earplugs but i think it's also it, it's a mindset. Uh, you can't be in a hurry. Like that's th- that's the the biggest thing with train travel. It's not faster. It's not less expensive. It's more about the experience. And for me, I I take it as an opportunity to unplug. Uh, some trains have Wi-Fi. Some don't. Uh, if you have a phone, you can use your phone as a Wi-Fi hotspot. But then when you get into the remote reaches of the of the American West, there's no there's not really any cell signal either. So I think if you if you come on with this idea that you're going to maybe read or you're going to write a little bit or you're just going to think or something simple like sleeping and eating and just enjoying the scenery as it passes, I think if that is your expectation, especially on a long distance train ride, uh, you will enjoy it much more so than if you're worrying about the next time you can check your email. Yeah, I think I'd agree. Uh, it definitely isn't. I mean, if you just have to get from A to B, then I guess you would fly, right? You'd fly right. domestic as fast as possible. Um, but the, and the train definitely takes 
a lot longer. Um, Unless you're in in the Northeast Corridor. So the the Northeast Corridor is typically considered Boston to D.C. and all the stops along the way. And those trains are highly profitable for Amtrak. They subsidize all the long distance routes that lose money Mm. because they're the most they're the busiest and they're and they're the busiest because there are a lot of commuters. So there, there are people who live in New York City and have to make a regular trip to D.C. and, and they will take the Amtrak Northeast Corridor train. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, and one of the, I think the other thing, I mean, you mentioned some of the incredible scenery that people can see and some of these great cities, but I also found it very interesting uh, to see what is the other side of America, which is poverty. And what you see from the tracks is you also see how people are living in uh, some cities which are very industrial or very rural. Or um, I was, I found that very almost shocking after leaving Chicago, which is obviously Chicago. <laughs> um, and then finding ourselves, you know, waking up in the morning and feeling like, whoa, this is, this is another country. Yeah, it's it's even a good. It's shocking for me too, and I've lived in the United States my entire life. It's a reminder that there is poverty everywhere, and that there's a lot of America that uh, still struggles. There are people who struggle to make a living, who who, uh, are struggling to live above the poverty line. And the difference with the train is that it is not a, uh, it's not polished and manicured. It's not like taking uh, a roller coaster ride in, in, you know, Disney World. You are in the real world. And even coming out of Chicago, I mean, you're going through the south side of Chicago and, and there are buildings that have been boarded up or condemned. Uh, and then heading south, like you get into rural Mississippi and you're, you're coming through people's backyards. And it, and it really is eye-opening, I think, for anyone. Yeah, definitely. Especially with that horn going. <laughs> to live on the tracks there is just kind of yeah awful to me, as you say, as an introvert, all that noise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just, just crazy. But um, apart from your own books, what are several books that you might recommend uh, about train travel or USA specific train travel? Yeah, I, I've been really thinking about this and I hope it'll make sense why the two books uh, besides Sacrifice that I'm going to recommend don't have to do with American train travel. I I think (laughs) Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express is just great fun. It's classic mystery. Uh, I think readers who enjoy any type of mystery or thriller should read that. And the fact that it it involves a train is even better. So on the fiction side, I think that's a a great read. Uh, The other one, and, and this gets more to our conversation about discovering America and and what America is and seeing it from uh, a perspective that you don't get uh, 30,000 feet or on the highways uh, is uh, Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods. And the subtitle is Rediscovering America on the Appalachian Trail. And he published this in 1998. So it, it does predate uh, smartphones. But it is one of the best books at sort of trying to put your finger on what it like what it means to be an American and and sort of take advantage of some of the natural beauty and 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 parks and things that we have here. And in addition, if uh, if you've never read Bill Bryson, he is one of the funniest writers you will ever read. And the first chapter of that book, I remember when I was reading it, I was reading it out loud to my wife and we were both laughing. <laughs> uh, so if you want sort of a very lighthearted and fun uh, look that kind of gets to Americana, I would highly recommend Bill Bryson. 
Oh, that's a good one. And it's funny because near the beginning, you used the phrase uh, riding the rails, which mm-hmm. I think is a very American phrase. Uh, it's, <laughs> Probably. It, yeah, but I think it comes, you know, in my mind, the, the that phrase, riding the rails, is more like the Depression era. You kind of have in your mind those um, images of people riding the rails to find work yes. in, in another place. Um, so I think, uh, was it John Steinbeck who was writing about uh, that? that sort of area in my mind that there's those kind of images come up when with that phrase does that ring any bells yeah that's so interesting i i tend to think of uh train travel in general uh, and i think most americans probably think about it this way too is we have this romanticized uh version of manifest destiny about you know once once we crossed as european settlers once we crossed the mississippi river how how quote unquote was the west one and and train travel is such a big part of that, for better and worse. And, uh, and and I think the sort of the rails, the idea of these rails extending from coast to coast and making it possible for people to to migrate west is just it, it's such there's just such this a romantic uh, notion that's that's part of the American psyche in a positive way. And I think maybe that's sort of where you know my perspective comes from. Yeah, no good. And it it seems to me that, as I said, they're missing a trick because there's a lot of people who do want to do this kind of train travel. But also then we have the futurist stuff, that um, hy- the Hyperloop, which is essentially a train, right? But it's a, yes. a very fast magnetic train that Elon Musk's boring company are doing, right? I think that's right. <laughs> yes. um, and to me, that it's completely the opposite to what you're talking about, which is this kind of slow, appreciative travel. <laughs> Whereas the Hyperloop will be a train, I guess, but it will be a high-speed train. So do you have any thoughts about where the future of train travel might go in the US? It really... It, it really depends, and I and I know I know how, how you're such a futurist, and I'm not surprised that you're thinking about like that that element of it, and and I I think what it comes down to is it's going to come down to political will versus uh, natural resources. I think in this country, uh, the oil lobby, the automobile lobby, th- those lobbyists are so powerful that they have the ability to um, maybe not influence budgets, but influence people who make decisions. And there isn't a lot of money being put towards alternative travel methods right now. And so the question I'm always thinking about is, okay, at what point does it not become feasible to have 350 million cars on U.S. highways? And, you know, and if, if it takes, you know, if it's costing us, uh, you know, $50 a gallon to extract oil, um, you know, what does that do to our, our transportation infrastructure? So I think there's, there's definitely a future for train travel. I do worry, though, that uh, if it becomes a substitute for uh, air travel, which is also, you know, environmentally, that's a, that, that, that's a huge impact, mm. right? So if it becomes a substitute for train travel or it expediates highway travel by 10x, then I think it's going to turn into something that it isn't now. So I, I'm kind of torn. I, it's not the greatest right now, but it feels like it's a, a best kept secret. And at the same time, I feel like so many more people could benefit from it. Yeah, I think you're right. And part of me wants to say, look, they they need some kind of privatized rail so that they can make more money because then more people will do it because they'll monetize it with better experiences. And, you know, but then it's like a lot of people do use it for more budget 
travel that they have to do, um, you know, and it needs to be affordable. So I see it's, it is, you're right, a very interesting question and conundrum in such a big country where <laughs> you can tell by those trains, a lot of them have not had investment for right. a very long time. Um, wow. So yeah, really interesting time. So just a broader question um, around travel. So what does travel mean to you and how does it impact your writing? Travel is one of the most uh, important intangible elements of my life. And I think part of that was because I grew up in, as part of a, uh, a working class um, Rust Belt family in, in Pittsburgh. And we didn't take vacations as a kid. I mean, we, we went to Ocean City, Maryland. We drove, packed up the family car and we drove eight hours to the shore once a year. Um, but And that was great. But that was not experiencing different cultures and different people. And so I think now as an adult having traveled broadly and, and overseas and throughout this country, uh, it, it's very invigorating. It, it rekindles creativity. It broadens my perspective. And e even more importantly than, than an author, as a person, I think uh, travel breeds tolerance and empathy. And I, and I think those are two things that are really in short supply in our current political climate. And I think the ability to travel and to talk to other people who uh, are not having the same experience as you builds bridges. And, uh, and, and as an author, I think that makes for better storytelling. Yes. And are you really then, you're talking about travel within your own country. You're not even meaning to a foreign country. I would say both. I mean, a foreign country, even more so. I think a, a completely different culture uh, brings a sense of, uh, an, a, of empathy that's impossible in any other way. But even... Uh, you know, even getting out into different parts of this country, as we as we found out in our last presidential election, there there are um, there are some very polar opposites in this country, and and those are sometimes set up by geography. And so I think getting out to different places uh, can can really do that. And you know, New York is sort of my my prime example. I know people love or hate New York, but I feel like if you've if you've never been to New York City and you've lived in the United States your entire life you need to go there <laughs> and and you need to see sort of what a multicultural um, just uh, I, I, experience is like. I mean, it, it's really, it's it's quite different short of, you know, going to a different country. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's so funny you say that because I, uh, I've been to New York a number of times and I feel very at home there because it has such a similar vibe to London um, or, you know, Sydney in a way, you know, places right. that are international cities where you, whoever you are, whatever you believe, you know, however weird you are, you can find a home. <laughs> <laughs> in a place like that and that's very uh, very comforting and 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 it's very international and i i love that but also i i feel like i understood your political situation in the same way as the in britain it's not to such a scale but um by seeing some of the poorer places uh by traveling by train that i would not be visiting um otherwise or you know not that we visited but we went through it made me see much more what you know what people were thinking uh, during that yes. election and um you know even some of those big cities in the early morning i remember having jet lag waking up in uh, in denver and colorado and w walking around in the very early morning and realizing how many people were sleeping on the streets and mm -hmm. it it just 
as you say, you know, and I, I'm British and Americans, you know, we have a lot in common. It's our language is the same and we can all talk to each other, but it was, it was so revealing to be, to be somewhere that just was not what I had thought it was. Um, even if it was, you know, I just had the wrong impression, I think. So it does <laughs> travel can mean a lot, even if it's within the same city, even. Sure. And that's what I, I've told people this before in, in different ways. And I, and I've said, if, if you can't afford a proper vacation or you can't afford to travel to a different country, just go to another part of your own city and, mm. and uh, eat at a restaurant and an ethnic cuisine that you haven't tried before and talk to the people who are working there. They're probably family. Grandma's probably in the kitchen and ask them, you know, what, what the, was their experience like? When did they come to the country and, and under what circumstances? And just doing that, I think, can really broaden your perspective. Oh, yeah. Or ask your Uber driver. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> ask, <Yes. laughs> ask your Uber driver where they're from. <laughs> that is my favorite. Um, OK, so where can people find you and your books online? The easiest thing is just to go to theauthorlife.com and you can get to everything from there. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Jay. That was great. Oh, my pleasure, Joanna. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining me today on the Books and Travel podcast. I hope you found a moment of escape. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my books for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Happy travels until next time.